Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Die Hard on a Blank, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. I'm Liam Billingham, but you can call me Yogurt. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Philip Gawthorne. Please, yogurt. That's that what was I amazing. Re- referred to. That was amazing. Oh, my goodness. I, I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Please this like is, and subscribe. This has been Yogurt Cast. Oh, the reason I made that joke is because today's film features a character named Yogurt. <laughs> Phil, what film? <laughs> <laughs> what film are we talking about? All right. Let's sort it out. Today's film is Toy Soldiers, a.k.a. It's Die Hard in a Prep School. A.k.a. It's Die Hard Meets Dead Poet Society. Oh, my, oh Captain, my Captain. Our fearful terrorists are yeah. dead. <laughs> All right. Oh my goodness! Uh, do you have much experience with prep school, Phil? No, this was something I wanted w- was on my list of notes. Here was prep school. What's that all about? Well, I didn't go to prep school. I uh, was raised by um, pretty staunchly public school folks, and I uh, am not the child of like you know the scion of uh, the Republican Party or anything like that. So As I avoided it. Are, yeah. And I didn't really grow up with the in that kind of milieu. But I would say that um prep school is it's a very uniquely American thing where you where rich people seem to send their um underperforming children to live in a place and uh, go to school and, and live amongst each other. It's like it's like practice for college. Is it, is it exclusively for like underperforming kids as as like that's what they are in in this movie yeah, that's what they are in this movie but you know there is a there is a moment in this film where someone goes like hey my kid it, it's actually a moment i like in the film my kid is not a rich kid like yeah, i'm the, yeah, so yeah. i had the, some like the only female character in this total sausage fest by right, the way that's is a that? very good point <laughs> i went to college with a guy whose mother worked at the school and so as a result he got to go for free so okay. like you know it's a mix right like there is like there is everywhere but i think that this film really leans into the idea of like these are the shitty children of of rich people, essentially, yeah. and underperformers. But yet, we're supposed to be on their side. Right. And you are on their side. You, yeah, in, in you root for movie. them because of the likability of the actors. But on, on paper, it's like, they're this, this is the son of uh, the 
co-chairman of the Republican Party. Yeah. This is the son of an oil magnate. Yeah. This is the son of the head of a bank in New York. You right. Know? And, and basically... So it's, a, um, it's a weird scene, but it's a, it's a smart device that the, the movie uses. But what I think is cool about it as well is that, you know, um, w w without wanting to jump ahead, a key character who I want to rhapsodize about later says, it's not these kids' fault who their fathers are. Ugh, you know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, very quickly... Just give me a one sentence on what this movie is about. One sentence. Okay. Um, terrorists take over um, an exclusive prep school and a group of rebellious students fight back. And it, and it takes place probably in the Northeast in some leafy academic setting. I think it's, yeah, maybe New York State or yeah, yeah, New, could New be. England. Or, yeah, it's yeah. where I grew up, right, essentially. Right. Sure. This and is your world. This is my, yeah, my world. But I will say that um, I, I have... I do have a bit of a relationship with this movie. I have a very I have a very strong memory of watching this movie on VHS with my family in like August of 1992 after it came out on VHS on a family vacation in Cape mm. Cod. Like I have wow. a very, very clear specific. memory yeah, yeah. of seeing it. I probably because it was like teenage kids and that and that kind of thing. And like I remember it kind of being like a thing when it came out. And um I don't think I would have remembered that it was Will Wheaton. You know what? My family was a Star Trek The Next Generation family, and my sisters loved Will Wheaton. And that's He's probably why we watched it. What's your, uh, were you, are you a big fan? So my relationship with this movie is very unusual uh, for this podcast because it's one of the few films that I had never seen. What? And I think the reason for that was um, my sense of it. I knew it was around and I had friends who were like, oh, Toy Soldiers is great. And it wasn't that I consciously avoided it, but it seemed to me a sort of kiddie diehard. You know, or like, I, and I was already right. into Die Hard. So it was like, well, why would I want a diluted version? And, and I was probably, I don't know, maybe I was trying to work it out. Probably what, 11, 12 by the time I'd seen Die Hard. And I think this is a movie that if you saw it at like eight or nine, mm -hmm. before your I was critical I faculties have started to emerge, it's like awesome. Yeah. You know, and I like this. I like this movie. We're going to, we're going to, we, you know, we're going to, we're going to discuss it. I'm not here to, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bashing it. As I watched it recently as a semi adult, um, my suspicions about it were sort of validated. Interesting. Because it, it was kind of like a little cartoonish. Well, yeah, there's a lot to, to break down there um, in terms of the some of the production choices, I would say, in the movie. But first, yes. would you give me some fast facts, some top-line facts about Toy Soldiers? I would love to. Thank you, Phil. All right. So Toy Soldiers was released by TriStar in the U.S. on April 26, 1991. I that was the same um, studio as uh, Narrow Margin. So it was, uh, which was our last movie. So it was sort of what seven, seven, seven eight, eight months. months or so after that movie, and th just coming up on three years after the original Die Hard, which this is clearly emulating. Yeah, to be kind, this might be the closest homage that we've talked about for for sure, for sure, yeah, for for sure. It was directed by Daniel Petrie Jr. and produced by Mario Casar, Mark Berg, and Chris Zarpas. It stars Sean Astin, Will Wheaton, Andrew Divoff, and the Incredible. Incredible. Lewis Gossett Jr. Iron Eagle. Ugh. Iron Eagle. He had a bit of a run working with troubled boys uh, in the... In the th I, can't, I can't speak to Iron Eagle, but I can speak to some of his other... You've never seen Iron Eagle? Well, I had the same issue with it. It's like, so this uh, is Kitty Top Gun? Like, I, I want... But give I me the real Give me the real action shit, action movie you know? is an interesting genre to talk about around this time. I don't like it. A, I, don't, I don't like I can it. Tell, wow, Phil has a look in his eyes. <laughs> 
weird. I was Phil's a weird a kid. Yeah. Like I didn't well, like ever. If the kids this are, doesn't go hard the enough kids for are, me. Yeah, exactly. The kids are watching like you know Lion King, and I'm like Terminator, Terminator, Terminator. I I, I was I was just I didn't like kiddie yeah, content. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, sure. I, I just I don't know. Lion you know? King rocks. It's based on Hamlet, though. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah, it is. Yeah. God. You're right. The screenplay was written by... It doesn't have any helicopters in it, though, so why Actually, would I Actually, if you watch closely when he's holding Simba up, there's a guy firing a machine gun <laughs> yeah. yeah, in the background. No helicopters, screen. no Philly. I'm going to remake movies for you with just helicopter shootouts in them. The screenplay was written by the director, Daniel Petrie Jr., and David Kapp. Yeah. One of Interesting the to see great Hollywood name. screenwriters. Yep. Yeah, um, one of his earlier A million credits. movies, right? He wrote a million Jurassic good movies. Park. Jurassic Park. I think he wrote Carlito's Way in the same... He did, right? Carlito's... Imagine that. Like, um, Mission Impossible? Yep, yep. Yeah, many, 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 yeah, and many classics. Absolutely. Um, it's based, and it's on... based on a novel, interestingly. Go, um, go ahead. Yeah, based on a... <laughs> thanks. <laughs> based on the novel of the same name by William P. Kennedy, which was released in 1988, the same year that Die Hard came out. And yeah. it was made on an estimated budget of $10 million, and it grossed $15 million. So but did... It did okay, but was considerably more successful in the home video market, right. as you Which as is where I saw it when to. I rented yep. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about a couple things here. Who? What do we know about Daniel Petrie Jr.? So one of his early and most interesting credits was he was the writer of Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's a good movie. And speaking of uh, some diehard DNA, he was also the writer um, of uh, Turner and Hooch, starring... Die Hard alumni, Reginald Vell Johnson. Oh, that's right. Wow. So, so this is his directing this was debut? His, I think it was his debut. So he'd had a you know a pretty successful screenwriting career. His father, Daniel Petrie Sr., was also a director of some note, directed Fort Apache, the Bronx, the uh, Paul oh, Newman. Yeah. Um, but the Paul it's Newman. It's a little bit of Hollywood royalty he, going he, on yeah, here. Yeah, so, you know, it, it, in a weird way that sort of um, is echoed in the movie with, you know, the uh, the sort of, uh, you know, the idea of lineage and important fathers. And maybe he, maybe that was something that resonated with him. Um, so speaking of lineage, Sean Austin's performance in this movie, uh, Sean Austin obviously goes on to be like a pretty big movie star. But I think his later work is eclipsed by playing Samwise Gamgee in The Lord of the Rings. But there was a like, it's just so funny to think of him as like the the sort of anti-authoritarian tough guy mm. he is in this movie, and also Will Wheaton, you know, big child star. Mm. So it's interesting, sort of, you know, yeah, Kitty, Kitty, Die Hard, and like the casting in this movie, and actors that went on to have some pretty cool careers. Like yeah, they're this, both still around. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think they're, I think they're really good. I think mm -hmm. both of them are really good, and actually sort of their charm and their compensates for some of the unlikability of the of the characters frankly yeah so really just laying the table of something that is really important about this is that this is as we 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 touched on but this is the first bad guys take over a blank movie right other than the direct die hard sequels this is the first die hard on a blank like that is outside of the die hard canon it is such a blatant copy right. of the structure of specific moments. I mean, it's the amount of diehard parallels in this movie is is crazy. Obviously there's the the immediately obvious thing, bad guys take over the the school and it's up to, you know, one, you know, one man on the inside to well, So to this fight might back. be the origin of the term diehard on a yeah. blank, you know, that expression which essentially means terrorists take over a X and it's up to one man or woman or in this case group of people to defeat the terrorists. And so there's a lot of diehard DNA 
in this section of the movie. You want to tell us about what yeah, some of there, that is? There certainly is. Toy Soldiers also features a trustworthy ally on the outside who helps the hero navigate this tactically complex situation and provides um, assistance and guidance and moral support throughout. It's mm -hmm. much, much like um, the original the original movie. There's scenes where Sean Astin's character is crawling through like air ducts. There's a bit at tunnels. The, there's a bit at the end where he's firing an MP. He's like holding up an MP5 machine gun and get going. Like get it out, get out. Yeah. Just like he's waving the hostages through. I mean, oh, that's the, a good the, one. Yeah, the echoes are all over the place. Um, there's also some interesting genealogical connections with some of the people involved. They're, they're slightly circuitous. Mario Casar mm -hmm. pops up again, who um, we he mentioned produced, before. He uh, produced Narrow Margin. He was on. He was on that legendary action uh, producer. Produced First Blood um, and the other Rambo films. Die Hard was, of course, heavily influenced by First Blood and was pitched as Rambo in a building. Casar also produced several other Die Hard on a Blank style movies: um, Narrow Margin, which we've talked about, and Cliffhanger. Um, so, but the main point of relevance here is the central concept, which is very clearly a. a diehard scenario. Absolutely. It's got big diehard kind of vibes. Big diehard energy. Yeah. And there's a lot, I mean, it's a really interesting movie. You know, it comes in that era, as we pointed out, of like kiddie action hero rife. So like, I think the best sort of version of that is, or the, the most talked about is Red Dawn from 1984, mm. where kids fight off a Russian invasion. And is it in There's There's sort of wish fulfillment fantasies, but yeah. uh, it, it, it's interesting you mentioned Red Dawn because there is a slight right wing this is Red Dawn is very. I mean, it's John Milius, right? Yeah. It's a straight. It's a straight up right wing fantasy, right? You know, and I'm not a huge fan of Red Dawn, even though I love the people in it, and I think Milius is an incredible writer. Yeah, but well, the politics of it are are kind of kind of icky, right? Yeah, for sure. This film has, in a less egregious way, some of the same feelings that just left me feeling a little like. I don't know that I like the the messaging and Ooh, the, I'm curious yeah, to get so, into that. Yeah, yeah. Very quickly, I would like to call out a my favorite of the kiddie action movies, which is If Looks Could Kill, the Richard Grieco film from 1989, where he's mistaken for a spy named Michael Corbin and ends up in uh castles in Russia fighting off Linda Hunt and a bunch of other sort of you know, it's like a great Bond spoof. And I mean, I probably if I watched it now, I would have mixed feelings about it, but there was a moment where it was like, let's make action movies with kids, which is yeah, really it's kind weird. of an interesting, like, we, now that you're mentioning, there is a sort of a weird subgenre. That movie was called Teen Agent in the UK. Right. A completely different title, oh, if, which I think yeah. is actually much better. Oh, I if, oh you, you like know, Teen Agent more than If Looks Could if Kill? If Looks Could Kill, dot, dot, dot. Like, how are you even fitting that on the oh, fucking but it's, poster? But it's like, like a James Bond title. I love it. Uh, I think it's great. Yeah, yeah I'll get out of here with I'm not into Teen it. Teen Agent. But there was another movie like that called, um, it was what, the Anthony Edwards one um, from the mid-80s. Oh. Um, that was Gotcha, right? Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Maybe and a movie a before time. that called Tag the Assassination Game that were slightly these kiddie Wow, I thought I was and... digging deep with If Looks Could Kill and you just put me... Now I'm over here like, oh, cool, I love my If Looks Could Kill reference. I had, to, I, had to, I had to go a little deeper. Yeah, this is a strange movie. I, But an interesting movie and a movie that at times really works for me and at other times... Just doesn't doesn't land it for me. Should we should we should we should we look at it in yeah, terms let's of an action about, movie? Let's yeah. talk about our anatomy of an action movie. The anatomy of an action is sort of your your design is a very smart way of breaking down action movies into five major categories. Uh, Die Hard being the model because it it sort of has full marks, A plus, one hundred percent. It's the teacher's pat of action movies, uh, according to the 
Master Phil. So what are the five char- characteristics that make up an action movie? All right. So um, there's the premise uh, slash the plot. Um, you know, in this case, it's Colombian terrorists taking over a, uh, a prep school. In other cases, you know, uh, bomb on the bus, whatever it is. The premise, is that a strong premise? Uh, within that and within the premise and the plot is the ticking clock. Um, then we have the hero. Um, we also have the villain. And we have the action itself, the set pieces, the stunts, the imagery, and finally the humor, which I think is also um, an important part uh, of the of the action movie Absolutely. puzzle. And occasionally I'm going to throw in the lady or the the character, you know, sort of like the character. If that... you want to throw in a tenant, you feel free. Oh, we live in a Twilight yeah, world. It's... However, this movie has no ladies in it. This movie That's has right, no damsels one, or one sort of... woman who goes, we aren't rich, so it is, we should It get... is, as you pointed out, That's it could it. be retitled Sausage Party. It's just... <laughs> a la the it's Seth Rogen. Yeah, the, there's no you know, ladies. This is a boy movie. This is the definition of what someone might be like, oh, that's a boy movie because this is literally a movie about essentially prepubescent boys who are also ripped. John Austin is ripped in this movie. It's like the guy who's 18 years old but is 12. It's it's easy to... He's the Nelson Muntz of... You're not carrying the the weight of 30 years of drinking beer. (laughs) But they do drink. You have the the two years of drinking vodka (laughs) mouthwash. Oh, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the plot of this movie. All right. What is this movie about? So um, the, the the Sean Austin and and um, yeah, Will these other, Will Will Wheaton and a bunch of uh, lovable ruffians Keith Coogan or George um, Perez T E Russell Sean Phelan as yogurt <laughs> that's some of the boys Let in that this movie sink in yes. there is a character in this movie called yogurt or yogurt as we like to say in the UK by the by I did some research about that and um, apparently that was like. The, the, that that was the actor's name because someone he spilled yogurt in in the truck and the name stuck. It's like the worst, like I love that he's named yogurt though. It's great, he, and it's never explained. So they're hanging out at a prep school. So they're hanging out at a prep school, and they have a friend whose dad is a judge, right? And he gets pulled out of school because over in Colombia or the 1990s version right. of Colombia, right. where terror L- reigns, yeah, so <laughs> anarchist friend. nightmare. A, the United States have uh, taken a uh, the a, a Colombian drug lord, and his son has vowed revenge. He comes to the United States, takes over the prep school. Little does he know, though, that. The administration and the law enforcement of uh, have taken the boy out of the school mm-hmm. the day before. By the way, the administration of this film is Louis Gossett Jr. in the role of Edward Parker, the mm-hmm. dean of the school, and my pal, Denholm Elliott. Oh, gosh. As Wonderful. headmaster, Dr. Rupert Gold. Denholm Elliott plays Marcus in the Indiana Jones movies. Yes, yep, well known for that. So they take the boy out of school along with the law enforcement, and the very next day, the terrorist, Louis Cowley, played by Andrew Div- Divoff, Divoff, yep, and uh, his henchmen, most of whom are, quite frankly, unremarkable, show up and take over the school. And they realize, they realize that although they don't have the son of the judge who's going to put Cowley's father in jail, that they have a bunch of rich kids who've all been sent to prep school and they decide to hold them hostage until Kylie's father is released from jail. Yeah. 
So he, it's it's a moment of the plan has failed, but he, it's sort of a, an opportunistic pivot, basically. It's one of the it? smarter things the movie does, in my yeah. opinion. I, I mean, at the beginning, this sets up. I, you know, if we're talking about rating this, this is a good premise, good right? Premise. Okay, it's a straight up Die Hard ripoff. Fine, like we've all done it, no problem. No, we've all know, ripped off Die Hard. Who among us? Yeah, who among we're us? Just, <laughs> we're not above it. Like it's fine. Like if you're gonna steal, steal from the best, right? So no, these terrorists, no they take over a podcast. <laughs> Um, so, okay. Now, you mentioned that this film gives you icky well, vibes. You want to tell me, is now a good time to talk about your icky vibes? It's more towards the end. Okay. You know? Um, but, yeah, no, you know what, let's, let's talk about it. Because one of the things, the movie does something different from the novel. So I read the, the in the novel, the prep school is in, uh, Rome. Um, and Really? The, yeah. They're American students. Um, but and the terrorists are um, are Palestinians who have a specific uh, political agenda, rather than in in this instance they're they're not even really terrorists per se. They're they're an extension of a Colombian drug cartel. The point is, it, it's quite similar to the adaptation of Nothing Lasts Forever in that respect. In that the bad guys are depoliticized for the film. The book has a sort of morally gray oh. worldview <clears throat> where um, you know there's good and sort of good and bad on all sides or they, or just everyone's really kind of gray. No one's really like holier than now. The film simplifies that um, probably quite wisely for a mainstream audience in the kind of it's you know, kind of a kind of summer or like yeah. late late spring it's, movie. It's, it's good and evil. It's black and white. There's no there's right. no there's no there's no nuance. That that's fine. I don't you know there's no there's no problems there. Some of the characters um, from the book are, are Billy Tepper, the the Sean Astin character, and Joey Trotter. Uh, the Will, Will Wheaton, Wheaton character, character, who is interesting because he's the son of a, a, a mafia boss. But in the book, the mafia boss is a, a CIA asset who feeds back information to the U.S. government about um, international drug deals. Wow, that's so cool. So that was quite an original um, an, an original aspect. So it, it's... Um, the, the, I, okay, so why do I feel this? there's a sort of slight ickiness to it? It's mainly because... The finale of this film, which were the, the whole film is, is is like a siege situation. The military are outside. Are they going to raid it? You know that this is this was the scenario. That it's a was bit in. of a ticking clock in the movie. It's a it's a it's a yeah. That that's one of the the book is the same where it's like are they going to raid it or are they not? Is the uh, is it worth the risk? Yeah, the calculus of that, which was in all of these books and Toy Soldiers, the book is very is almost it's like derived from. Um, nothing lasts forever, more mm -hmm. so than Drive from Die Hard because it w it came out just before Die Hard was released. But it's very much like um, Nothing Lasts, Nothing Lasts Forever, and a lot like the book that um, Die Hard Two was was based on, uh, Fifty Eight Minutes by Walter, mm -hmm. Walter Wager. Tons of these sort of paperback airport novels were like these types of situations where terrorists take over a blank and the calculus of do we take out the hostages and of course that had happened in in real life and it was so it was obviously on the minds i'm speaking to the iran hostage crisis and various other sort of scenarios that happened around that time this is something that was on clearly in the zeitgeist and on in big part of the american psyche right, right. what do we do in this situation it's kind of a moral conundrum there's hostages at risk we don't they're negotiate kids. with terrorists and the stakes are raised in this one because they're they're kids my the thing that made me a little more uncomfortable with it is that the the sort of the celebration of militarism and the sort of mm. it's basically like um Dwayne T. robinson's wet dream 
is what happens at the end. In Die Hard, they it, go in and they kind they go of, in and yeah. it's perfect and they kill everybody. And they're all they're and dressed no ridiculously with the black on their face, which by the way they would completely stand out in the courtyard. You're kind of like, why are they why are they all dressed in black with black? Like it doesn't make. Yeah, I it's, hear you. It, so it was sort of that aspect of it where it was like uh, the the Die Hard. It, it celebrates everything that Die Hard critiqued. Die Hard, when they try, basically, the gung-ho, ass-kicking, let's go, you know, yeah. kick ass. That kind of, the thing like Dwayne T. Robertson says. Because <laughs> then he pricks they, his finger. They emasculate right. that All those idea. SWAT team they guys, emasculate yeah. the sort of um, unthinking American machismo-like attitude towards, you know, these kind of situations Milit yeah. at the time, which are also further embodied by the FBI agents Johnson & Johnson, and they're completely a moral approach to... Uh, you know, well, if we take out, you know, what do you figure of the breakage? Well, if we take out, you know, all the terrorists and we lose 15, 20% of the hostages, whatever they say, that is an acceptable it's ratio. It's like Saigon, eh, Slick? And this is, but this was weirdly, as the more I go down this rabbit hole, this concept and this moral quandary of what do you do in these, uh, if there is a terrorist scenario, was in all of these books and all of the all a bunch of these movies, but the the, the sort of position that this film is just like I don't really want to deal with the moral complexity of it. Uh, good Let's guys, go, go, good go. guys win, and we're all and uh, job done. So I have an interesting thought in response to that, which is you know what I thought about while watching this movie, Peter Pan. Huh. The reason that I thought about Peter Pan is that I think that there is something really interesting in this movie, and I wrote it down here that. This movie takes place in a world where the kids are right, mm. the parents are always, the adults are always wrong, except for Louis Gossett Jr., yep. and these parents have locked their kids away. So there's something anti-authoritarian in the approach. There's a middle section of this movie, which we can get into in the action section, where Sean Austin has snuck off the property to very wisely give as much information mm -hmm. he's gathered, similar to McLean. Yep. Check, you know, he's gathered a bunch of information about these terrorists and he goes off of the property to share it. And none of the commandos will allow him back into the school. And he's like, if I don't get back for yeah. headcount, they're going to execute five of these kids. And there's this moment in the movie where I'm like, no one's listening to the kids, right? The only person that, that the kids... Uh, that take that 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 anyone takes seriously. Louis Gossett Jr. is the only person that takes any of these kids seriously, and that really resonated for me. Especially like, look, I, I can't ascribe what the goals of the director are in the film, but the fact that there's this like fam family lineage in Hollywood with his background, but also the Will Wheaton rejecting his father, saving yeah, him. Yeah. There's something to this movie that feels like pro youth, pro young people, pro the idea that like, hey, the kids are all right. And even at the end, the SWAT team barely takes out a single terrorist. The, the three guys in a, in a callback, I think, to Die Hard get blown up by the drop grenade mm. that, the, mm. that, the, that the terrorists on the roof get. So, like, there's a certain amount of, like, similarity in that Sean Austin has a connection to Louis Gossett Jr. Louis Gossett Jr. is the only person that believes Sean Austin, and everyone else is a shitty functionary. Mm. So while I agree that at the end there might be a little bit of like rah rah, commandos save it. Yeah. The commandos don't actually do Which, anything. Which, by the way, I secretly love. Yeah, of course. But, I mean, it's, well, it's 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 entertaining, right? <laughs> yeah. It's entertaining. It's, to watch. it's it's really quite but, thrilling. Like they don't even take out. Do they take out Callie? Yeah, one. Callie is the that only person. That moment's very very. Very, very interesting. Right. Which I want to, yeah. But like, I think the movie has a little bit of like adults are wrong and kids are right mentality an to it. And, and it read as reading. thematically yeah. more complex yeah. than I think 
the movie necessarily. I think that the direct, you know, every director makes a movie with intent. I think narrow, for instance, our last one we talked about, there's a little bit of narrow margin. It feels like it's about aging and being middle-aged yeah. to my mentality. And, and, and this film has a little bit of like, can we trust adults? They put us in these schools and they yeah. want nothing to do yeah. with us, but then they yeah. come running to save us. You know, it's well, an interesting question. What's interesting in, in the book, though, is that the the Billy Tepper character um, has unflinching faith in that the military and he calls them the screaming eagles, like the, who like the sort of Delta Force commanders that will come parachuting in. He has complete faith that they will come in and save the day. So there's no sense of uh, the film doesn't really do that. Sean in quite Austin's the same suspicious way. of all adults. He, yeah, he's, he's very suspicious, different. Uh, suspicious of everyone. I want to just pick up on one of the points you raised there, which is the head count, which I think is a, a really clever ticking, ticking clock, clock. In, in, in the movie because basically um, the film is weirdly relaxed for long periods, right? Like the kids the, are weirdly once, relaxed. They're playing ball. Exactly. Like, why, why are you so chill out? I would be like literally me and that I'd be sobbing the it's, entire time. It's wild. These kids, there's points when they're like, can't believe this place got taken over by terrorists, And the man. terrorists are just walking around with like machine guns. Like, with Kalashnikovs. Just, they're, like, they're throwing, the kids are throwing frisbees around in the weird. quad. You and know, Denholm Elliott's like, let me tell you about Roosevelt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's sort of that part of it. I found fascinating, but really kind of weird and unconvincing. But what they do that's quite clever is the terrorists say, like, there's an hourly headcount. And I think there's 90 students. Two, 92. Right? Or something like that. Right, 92. And if there's one missing, they will execute five. So that's a great device from for a dramatic standpoint. And that, as you're saying, like there's a point when Sean Astin's character is almost going to miss that. And it's a very exciting, suspenseful sequence. So I yeah. think that ticking clock, there's sort of two. There's that. And then there's the bigger question of, is the other are the authorities going to raid it? And, to that and what point, will the consequences be if they do? Part of the problem is that if the authorities raided it, like... Part of the problem with the authorities raiding it is that, like, they need all the information from the guys on the inside. Like, they're not actually capable of really being that helpful. They can't, I mean, and maybe it's, that's part of what makes the movie work. They can't gather intelligence, they can't do all these things. But, like, you're actually waiting for them to come in because, from my point of view, you don't think it's going to go well. And, like, a larger point I'd like to raise is that I think that the movie has sort of an emotional relationship to kind of like kids and their parents and stuff like that. I'd be curious to see this movie in the hands of like a Paul Verhoeven in terms of like how he would handle the the ending of the movie and the militarism. I think it'd be very different. Very different. And I, I you know, it's just interesting to think about like if if there 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 might be some critique in this, but it's certainly not like of the militarism necessarily. It's more about like legacy and fathers and, and sons. Yeah, sins of the father. And will uh the, the yeah, the these kids have to pay for the sins of their father who are sort of touched on as kind of people that are like titans of industry or powerful politicians and assumed to be um not you know the most uh, morally upstanding people. The film doesn't really go into too much detail. The book does. But um, there's another sins of the father thing to think about, which is the Cali, Enrique Cali, the father yeah. of Louis Cali. Enrique Cali is the, the drug dealer that's been taken by the US, US authorities, and his son has to act in violence to get him back, right? Yeah. So there's, there's, there's like, you know, there's def this is definitely a movie that's preoccupied by fathers and sons. And the Will Wheaton, um, you know, his father is a, is a mafia Joey Trotta, his father, played by Jerry Orbach yeah, in an uncredited, uncredited role. Uh, he's only he's in two scenes, right? Yeah. Albert Trotta. The, yeah. I guess the biggest mob boss in the United States or something like yeah. that. You yeah. know, so I feel like a scene is cut with Jerry Orbach. I feel like there's something missing that they removed from the movie because it either wasn't working or for time or there's a whole bunch of factors for that. Let's talk about the hero. Yeah. So the hero here is Billy Tepper, played by played by Sean Astin. 
uh, rebellious, troublemaking student at Regis High School. He's squandering his potential. He, again, he shares a number of McLean-like characteristics. Resourceful. He improvises. He improvises. Um, he he he's he's, he's uh, he conducts a kind of guerrilla warfare, or he sort of actually gathers a lot of information. There's a little bit of like not only a, a callback to Die Hard, but to me, I thought a little bit about the Great Escape, like watching them kind of like, you know, Will Wheaton is a great drawer, so he. So you yeah. appears to see him drawing the terrace, doing pictures. It's very smart, and it's all masterminded by Billy Tepper, yeah. Sean Austin, who's great in this movie. He is great. And and also like McLean, he has, to your point, you know, you're it's interesting. It's good that you're sort of challenging my my sort of feelings around it. He does have a hatred of authority. But it, I think it's in a way that as an adult, um, comes across as petulant and irritating. Whereas if you're nine years old or, you know- Oh, I'm sure I thought he was so cool. Yeah, exactly. Whereas now I, I, I watch it and I'm like, why are you spray painting rejects on the front of the, like, uh, <laughs> there's a scene where oh, it's he, called the Regis High School and he spray paints the rejects high school. That's how we meet well, him. Well, this is like, one of those weird moments in the movie. What it, has that achieved? The first 20 minutes of the movie feels like Porky's or something like that. I was like going to say that's Die Hard meets Porky's. And then there's like machine gun fire rings out in the cafeteria and suddenly it becomes a different movie. The one thing that's smart, so the first 20 minutes of the movie, the boys sneak off to drink vodka mouthwash and call a sex, sex phone yeah. sex operator Super in the basement, like a like a sealed off basement from the rest of the school. What's smart about that is that it establishes... What's smart about that is that it establishes that basement. So it's like, it's not completely yes. unfunctional. There's yeah, yeah. a lot, maybe too much setup. It also does the work, speaking of Billy Trotter, of setting up as him as like, you know, a in opposition to Lewis Gossett Jr. as Edward Dean Edward Parker. So like, we know that there's a, they have a tumultuous, difficult relationship. So I think, yes, yeah, Sean Astin's charm yeah. and uh, light touch and just innate likability for me, I think like it makes a, a character that, as an adult, I find quite irritating, likable. Um, you know. Yeah. You know what's um, interesting about him? You never meet his parents, and I think that's really that's important. I, that's to something understanding I was going to say is about the absence of, uh, apart from the Jerry Orbach character, we never see these parents. So there's a, that is that feeling of they're absent and they're on their own and they're sort yeah, of yeah they lock their untethered. kids away right. And you they know? have no like they have no one telling them besides Louis Gossett Jr. You know, which is like one of the best parts of the movie is you believe Louis Gossett Jr. is like caring and loving these kids. Yeah, I think uh, that's really important. You know, when this movie began, and it's this is a, a good sort of um, you know microcosm of the problem, the, the the issue with the movie. Right, it begins with this crazy sequence where uh, it's in this lawless Colombia. And Lewis Cowley takes over a, a a courtroom. I think it's the Palace of Justice. Yeah. Throws jurors out the window. It's total Scarface it's bizarre, land. He yeah. throws a judge out of a helicopter. Like it's very, very wild and intense and kind of kind of scary. It's wildly um, photographed too. Like like it's it's just it's very intense. Yeah, it's intense and it's cold open. You're just dropped in it. You're like wow. Then, then it has this really awkward transition. Yeah, I wrote down weird transition. Right? Like the guy's falling out of the plane. Now it's fun and hijinks. The score in the film is bizarre too. It's sometimes patriotic and other times like... It's, I think it's really good at the ending and the finale, but this doesn't, this doesn't work. It's strange. It's such yeah. a weird like disconnect between two completely different tones. And I, when I, I said I'd never seen this movie. So I'm watching that and I'm like, uh-oh. And then Lewis Gossett Jr. shows up and I'm like, Heck it's, yeah, baby. It's going to be okay. We're going to be okay because he centers this whole thing. 
He is amazing. He's in some ways the hero of the movie. And at the end, he takes a bullet. As you said, you wanted to discuss the scene where at the very end of the film, Robert Callie has Sean Austin's Billy Tepper in like a stranglehold, has a knife to his throat or something. Or he has he has the detonator. Yeah. Detonators. Has, yep. And uh, Lewis Gotts Jr. dives to the window, takes a bullet before I think the SWAT One of the team SWAT guys actually takes, takes uh, out Callie. Callie. Cali out. So it's it's actually that bit's a little bit like the book of uh, the, the Nothing Lasts Forever, like in the in the sense it's slightly messy, although it's still, you know, it's bad guy gets killed. Yeah. Job done. All the tension is resolved, yeah. essentially. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Um, should we talk about the villain while we're this on? This feels like a great while transition we're on, uh, right into the Lewis villain. Callie. Um, not a, not that memorable. I like him in this movie. It, Good act. Off, yeah. Off, yeah, I think it, it, he's interesting guy. He's a, a Venezuelan of Russian descent. He speaks nine languages. This is the actor Whoa. I'm talking about, Andrew. Andrew Divoff. You might have recognized him from. He had a small part in another movie we've done, Hunt for Red October. Uh, a bigger part in another 48 hours. Who is he in um, The Hunt for Red October? His character is called Andre Almarak. So I, Almarik. I assume he's on the, one of the sub uh, He's Russian, probably on the, uh, on the yeah. you know, um, sailors. Huh. Um, he had a bigger part in another 48 hours, which is quite memorable as the villainous biker Cherry Gantz, who was the brother Cherry of- Cherry Gantz uh, is a good name. The the uh, the character, the uh, James Remar character from the, ah. from, the, from the first movie. He'd go on to appear in Air Force One. Another Die Hard on a Blank movie. Is he just one of the... Is he just... just Boris Basilev. Oh, that was um, my birth name. That was but, actually... That was, um, more, that was my name. Was perhaps born. best known for his role in the Wishmaster horror films. Ah, okay. Um, and yeah, as you say, we, he's... I think he's good. He doesn't have a ton of, like, uh, dimension. There's a couple of nuanced moments that I really liked. He's sadistic. Um, he beats the... When he when he, when he gives the quote-unquote rod to Billy Tepper. What he says to, to your point is in that scene when he beats uh, Tepper for... Uh, when he beats Billy as a sort of punishment for him missing the head count, he says, this is how my father taught me discipline. So it is... Echoing the theme, that it's actually it's you know, kind of convincing movie. me that there was a there is quite a strong um, thematic unity that I wasn't necessarily uh, attuned to. The one thing there's a shame about this. So I think he's good, but we can't play who's your favorite terrorist because the other terrorists have no personality I wrote whatsoever. Down, I wrote with down one notable exception. Video game guards. Yeah. They're guys that don't seem to sleep or eat. Well, they eat, but like <laughs> non-playable but like, characters. Yeah, like there's a guy who's on the roof who yeah. like 
48 hours, three days, who knows how long yeah. it's been. He's still up there. He's like, hey, what's up? And it's like, how bad do you smell? You've been up here for five days. Have you eaten anything besides spit sandwiches? Yeah, yeah. Like, what's going on there? Yeah, it's true. Because this, it, it's really hard to discern how long has a siege gone on for? Because it feels like it's six months. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And when I was a kid, it felt like a long time. Now I think it's like six days. Days or weeks. Six yeah, days. It's, it's sort of hard to tell because they all seem to have just like relaxed into this new uh, reality. There is one exception to um, the colorless villains, which is the character of Jack Thorpe, Lewis Cowley's American henchman, who's presumably a hired mercenary, played by an actor called Michael Champion. Now, I don't kind know of the you... Carl of this movie. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Now, I don't know if you recognize this gentleman, but he is a graduate from henchman school. Because he was a henchman in Beverly Hills Cop, oh. a small part as the guy, like you know when uh, James Russo's character gets like uh, twatted on the head and then killed at the beginning. Yes, it's been a um, long time since I've rewatched Beverly by Hills. By Jonathan Cop. Banks, later of um, super fame from um, right, 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 Breaking Bad. Um, he's the other goon in that scene. Then he has a he has a slightly bigger henchman role in Total Recall. As uh, one of Michael Ironside's goons. Oh, that's right, yes. What are you trying to do? Kill us? Right. The dome will crack. Right, right. That wow. Guy. Now, I noticed in that, Mike, uh, he, so his his um, actor's secret is that he wears weird glasses. That's, mm -hmm. my, that's his. And he that's has the his, white hair. That's the white hair consistent across the other films? Michael Champion's entire approach to characterization is this character wears weird spectacles. Yo, but I also, I wrote down you know something what? about his vest. It I works. really liked his vest. I'm into it. Oh yeah, the tackle vest with the second in command. Felt I'm like into it. They were like doing the costumes and they're like, I don't know, get the L.L. Bean catalog out. Let's see what this guy's vest looks like. L.L. Bean, I don't know if you know, is like a- That one went over it's my like head. A, it's sailed like a, right past it's me. It's like a fishing clothing store. The main branch is in Maine, but like the vest and the flannel shirt feels like straight out of 1990s like style. Like it's unbelievable. Like, uh, oh, very specific. You know what? Speaking of that, something that I did pick up on that I was really jealous of was a bunch of uh, the characters in this movie are rocking Reebok pumps. Oh, and I've those been trying to get ass. a pair. You of look them. good. You can pull that off. I can't pull that. I can't wear high tops. That's not a good look for me. I, I've been trying to get a pair of Reebok pumps. Are we forever. running through the like the the trees and through the swamps and Reebok pumps? It seems like it'd be kind of uncomfortable. They're, yeah, right? yeah. They're a little you, too you, tall. You, it's You're, sort of like walking on the moon. Right yeah, there, for know? sure. Or moonwalking. <laughs> if you think about the nineties. Um, he doesn't do that much for me. He's not a Carl, right? No. And and there's a little bit of like he actually feels a little more like a Hans and that he's not as physical except at the end of the movie um can i offer just a, a little bit of a pet peeve of, of action movies Please. that drives me a little nuts because i don't think it's actually realistic there's a scene at the end of the first day of the siege when they're ushering all the kids into rooms and the henchmen are just pushing the kids and like gonna mm. move it's like how much faster do you want these kids to move and i feel like it's just a little bit like how do we make this scene more interesting when it's like all it is is irritating and like i just don't think right. That that's actually necessarily what's it's going just like to happen. You thought you hated these terrorists. Why don't you hate them a little well, bit more? It feels like an action movie thing as opposed to like organic right. to what's happening in the movie, where mm. they would probably just be going like, move it. Yeah, move. He's move, got go a faster. gun. I mean, you don't need to like yeah. hassle me. Yeah, yeah. And I I think yeah, this guy is uh, Andrew Duvall is Lewis Cali. He's he's a good actor, and I think his best moments are when he seems openly resentful of his father. I wish the movie had explored that a little bit more. The one thing I was going to say that I really like about his performance 
is the stuff at the end when he realizes the net is closing in and they are siege, you know, this. And the, he gets the, desperate. He gets desperate and yeah. you feel it. And that's, I don't recall seeing that too much in action movie villains. They tend to be sort of hard well, boiled to young, the last right? gasp. And he realizes like, oh fuck, I'm going to die. And they're all coming for me and there's no way out. And then the detonator doesn't work and all the, you know, and, and he, 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 there is a re real sort of, he feels very present and honest in his performance in those I moments. agree. And he's also vaguely baby-faced. There's something... Well, in a weird yeah. way, he's almost like these kids. He's sort of a bit older, but he's like a petulant child. Yeah. Well, you know? but... I want my dad back. Shades of... Yeah. The US government kidnapped my dad. He, well, he, was, a, he was a cartel uh, yeah, yeah. drug When he said that, I was like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, you... <laughs> no, I think that's true. And, like, again, like, you know, it could get a richer treatment. But, you know, it... Look, very watchable. Uh, very scary. Uh, let's talk about the action because let's. the action might be one of the strongest things about this movie. Yeah, I think it is, especially the, the you know there's some good there's some good flurries of action early on, but this really is a film that's building up to a to a massive um, finale, which is really really good. Yeah, it is good. It's, uh, it's yeah. well filmed, huge production value. They've got like two Blackhawks. They've got an Apache gunship. You, you have know, a couple of those in the backyard in Glendale, yeah, I flew right? In, I flew in. Yeah, on you the, bought on, that. You bought that ADU property to the, build three the, helipads. The Apache is having its um, an oil change. Sure, along uh, with today. my mullet. <laughs> uh, so there's a couple action scenes to focus on. The opening attack on the Palace of Justice. Yep. Um, well done, but like again, we talked about it's like so removed from the rest of the movie that I think you spend a little time being like, what's going on here? Yeah. It almost feels like the opening of a Bond movie where that yeah, it's, it's yeah. like not related to the rest of the movie, yeah. even if it rocks. Right. Um, Billy missing the head count when yeah. he's, um, you know, bringing out information in, an, in like a spiral notebook with photos. I think that sustained sequence is the best part of the movie by hmm. a mile. It really Steals works a for me. And, you there's know, something very dread, there's dread in it. It's yeah. scary. Yeah. Him, I remember being a kid, two things about this movie before we watched it. One is the scene where Callie whips him with the pen or yeah. whatever that yeah. happens to be. And the second one, when he, when he runs back, when he very wisely takes the towel and dresses. Clever. Like, I was in yeah. the shower, like... That there's so much dread in that, and and really, really that bit's really gripping. Yeah, yeah, it is really gripping. I think that's the best sequence in the movie for me, and it's a sustained. I like action sequences in movies that are sustained, that yeah. are that are moving over a period of time. I think another great example of this is uh, like the bank robbery in Heat, and also yeah. the entirety of Michael Bay's Ambulance. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, there's one other moment of action that yeah. is a. This is a this is a big spoiler. I mean, we, unfortunately, it's forty six minutes it's, in. It's hard to talk about this movie almost thirty five years since the movie came out. Yeah, so. it, it's hard to talk about movies without spoilers. So forget. But this one really is a big one. So if you're thinking of watching the movie, like uh, you just preface it by saying this is a big spoiler. Okay, the death of Will Wheaton's character Joey Trotter is a such a shocking moment, but it's horrific. So basically, what happened? Let's just. Just to yeah. explain what this is, and there's a point I want to make about it. So Joey Joey Trotter, the Will Wheaton character, is the son of this mafia Don. But interestingly, he he doesn't sort of wield that. He hates it. He hates and and he when the um the bad guys discover that he is the son of this um, powerful mob boss, they're they they're get him out. They're, they're like, get him out, yeah. you know, because they don't want the blowback from from that. And and um, but the but Joey says, No, I'm not I'm not going. Like, fuck you. Um, I'm staying with my friends and uh, ends up uh, grabbing a gun and runs out. And what's really, this was the moment where it was like, holy shit, suddenly this film has become kind of realistic. 
Because because when that happened and I thought, is he if he becomes a superhero in this moment, I'm like turning it off. But it didn't. In fact, he didn't know how to yeah. use the gun. When he, there's this moment where he pulls the it and kick it, it's, back. It, the kickback forces him upwards, and then he ends up getting shot by one of the uh by one of these the henchmen. And it when that happened, my jaw hit the floor, you know, and I I equate it to and obviously it's it's deeply disturbing for obvious reasons that we don't, you know, we don't need to get into. But in, in, in for pure storytelling and for in within the world of movies, it reminded me of the plane crash in Die Hard 2 in the sense mm. that it's like a transgressive, upsetting moment that you don't expect. It occurs around the same point structurally as well. Sometimes in screenwriting... It's like it's the, the low point. The, the mid, well, actually, it's the midpoint. Midpoint, it's right. the midpoint, aka uh, point of this no return. It's me trying to challenge the screenwriter. Uh, <laughs> what an well, asshole. It, it's, it, look, it, yeah. th there's, no, there's no hard and fast rules right. to this per se, but. To, th it's, it's on page it's, 52 uh, of the yeah, screenplay. It, no, yeah. Because it doesn't have to be, it, it, this isn't an exact. Well, this science, movie hits some beats. So, like, but, there's some real moments if you know screenplay structure where you're like, ah. I yeah. recognize this moment. But that, for me, was like point of no return. And when that happened, I was like, holy shit, because this film was fairly predictable. But when that happened, it was kind of like, um, wow, now there's such a fascinating wrinkle. Yeah. Where's this going to go? Because now they've killed the... The, the second lead. The, the, and the son of this mafia boss. And what's that going to mean? And it does have consequences because Lewis Cali's father is then murdered in prison, um, which... Nullifies also kind this of whole, shocking. which was also shocking. So this film veers between like, hey, youthful hijinks, and then extraordinarily shocking, disturbing bursts of violence. And a son is dead, and a father's dead, and they yeah. die like not not of each other, but they. So you know. to your point, there maybe there is a little bit more thematic heft uh, lurking underneath this seemingly kiddie diehard film uh, than than I gave it credit for. Actually, that moment is I thought was like. Kind it's of troubling. Kind of, it was deeply uncomfortable. But it was kind of brilliant from a storytelling well, standpoint. Yeah. Remember, this film was made in 1991, so we can't hold. You know, it's different. It's a, it's yeah, a different it's, era. It's all context. It's all context, right? Uh, to lighten the mood, boy, it would suck to be that henchman. You know, he's shown up there. I was he's kind worried. of just doing yeah, his job. I was kind of worried for him. Yeah, like, you think? I thought he was going to be killed by Cali. Actually, there's a there's a what I would consider an almost glaring error in that moment, which is Cali does not pick up that the that machine gun that Will Wheaton has and it just sits next to him and all the boys rush up and there's just a machine gun there and one of the terrorists eventually comes over and takes it. Right. But you're kind of like, why would they leave that there? Yeah. That seems wild. It kind of pulled me out of the moment, honestly. Interestingly, in, in, in the book, um, the henchmen are are basically kids themselves, like 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 you know, oh, late really teenagers. You know, so they're almost like they're like, scared. Gives it like a Lord of the Flies they're scared action kids movie vibe. Themselves, right? You know, so um, they they they're, you know they they're really afraid because they also know like, hey, if all these kids rushed us, like we we that's actually really cool. You know, uh, the book sounds interesting. It's 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 better than I thought it it would be. Yeah, you know, it, it's it, you know, there's some interesting interesting stuff in it. Um, yes, like, delight in the mood, humor. So. One of the things that this movie has going on it, uh, the the sort of humor scenes are the scenes where the boys are alone in the bedroom. Uh, after they've all been sort of like grouped together, yogurt being among them, and our they're boy. kind of our boy yogurt, <laughs> yogurt cast. They're um, they are. I hope this someone goes like, hey, these guys did a podcast about toy soldiers and they talked about you a lot. Yeah, um, give us a shout out. Uh, give us a shout out on uh, Sean Phelan. Sean Phelan. Hey um, Sean. Hey Sean. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, but like, even after the terrorists have, there's this little bit of like, why are you being such a bonehead kind of like vibes to it. And like, it, it, it's it's never that funny for me because I'm like, 
There's literally an armed guard outside. There's like a, a machine gun wielding lunatic outside the room. So like the humor works in the beginning during the phone sex sequence and stuff like that. But it doesn't work in the rest of the movie for me because it it, it feels again a little incongruous with, almost, yeah. with the rest of the the movie i can't genuinely think of a moment where i was like <laughs> like i never really laughed it does not have for example the the water gun of narrow one, margin there was one exception to that for me which was when denim elliott drinks the mouthwash oh that was good which he yeah. is, is basically creme de menthe and alcohol you know is, is alcohol because he's sort of at his wits end and 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 you know this there's, there's a whole joke about this mouthwash that's like basically uh Vodka. smuggled alcohol that they're hiding in in mouthwash bottles and then at the end denim elliott who is great he's great uh does anyone here speak ancient greek it. is that an indiana, indiana jones well, remember there's a scene where he's like marcus knows 50 100 people in cities all over the world with any luck He's cut the grail already, and Man. then it smashed. When you're, to... if you're casting an English academic like in that era, like yeah. he's the go-to. Well, and also know? there were just a lot of great. lot of good, lot of good actors. No, Denim Elliott is is great. He's a great actor. He has a real. I love seeing him in this movie. Yeah, it was like really a bit of class, you know, mm-hmm, for sure. Um, but the villains are largely humorless, humorless and charmless, unlike um, Hans Gruber and some of the other, you know, more entertaining. Louis Gossett Jr. You know, has some dry lines, but I can't think of sort of like any off the top of my head no well shall we shall we talk about lewis gossett jr now or should we um i love to talk about lewis right. gossett jr uh big dad right. vibes if i may, you may. Gen- like if you're if let you're, me roll out the carpet if you're driving if you're driving pull over if you're jogging stop sit down um, if you're folding laundry, but can continue um, to walk because when you jo- the, the the problem is that the blood flow is going to stop and you're going to be sore tomorrow. So if you're so, jog if you're jogging, please just walk. Yeah, walk gently and give me your undivided attention as I rhapsodize. Welcome to Lewis Gossett Jr. Cast, the podcast hosted by Phil Gawthorne within the Die Hard on a Blank podcast. He is a genius, and and I'll, I'll tell you my opinion as as to why right from and before it was from one of his very first lines what he can do with perfunctory dialogue right is incredible he can turn it into this tapestry of nuance and complexity and pathos and emotion there is a moment any just straight away right there's a moment where they come into the room his first appearance i think is um uh, Billy comes into the room and uh, Lewis Gossett Jr. is standing there with two marshals because they're going to move the, the, the kid out who's the son of the, the judge. Right. And the way that he says this line, he says, let us have the room. And he says it in a way that you mm. could say that line in a way that was like, let us have the room. You or could say glib. it. You, he cuts against being an authoritarian at every turn in this movie because he actually, tre- he, by saying it in that way, he's treating the kids with respect. He's not being like a bully. Mm-hmm. He's not laying down the law. And he does that throughout the entire movie. Even that there's also a scene where after Will Wheaton's character uh, has been has been shot and he turns he turns up, he gives Callie a speech where he's like, you know, the government will like hunt you down and they'll get you eventually. But instead of doing the obvious thing of like coming from a place of anger, he's like, he's tearing up as he's saying it. So he always t- makes these fascinating choices. Um, that are so thoughtful and yeah. just elevate like real, just like you know, almost cliched, tropey lines or just lines with no with no color. I don't. Have you seen um, an officer and a gentleman? Yeah. Oh my chance? god, yeah. it's my it's like my dad's favorite movie. So I watched it 
for the first time uh, ahead of this because I was like just in love with Lewis Gossett Jr.'s acting style and what he was doing. And I've always been a fan of his, but like this, it's He's taking it to a, in new, that movie. a new level. And he won the Oscar for, yeah. for, that, for that performance. And there's a moment like that at the end of that movie where... Richard Gere comes to him and says, uh, you know, they, they've been at loggerheads the whole movie and they even have a physical fight at one point because, of course, Lewis Gossett Jr. is the drill sergeant that's training uh, Gere's character, Zach Mayo, to be, uh, you know, to you know, be, a, be an officer. And at the end of the movie, when he actually is an officer and he goes to, goes to see him and he says basically like, he kind of thanks him, but there's a military like discipline that has to happen in that moment. And Lewis Gossett Jr. says, get the hell out of here in a way that is, but he says it with like, I can't deal with the emotion that you're bringing to me. It, it, it's like, mm. it, 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 he doesn't, he just makes the, he's like such a hard guy, but he makes the he, the, he brings you into his soul in the way that the best actors do. And he can take a line like that, get the hell out of here and, and imbue it with their entire relationship, his entire career, his raison d'etre for life, why he does this because he's helping even though he's a complete bully and a bastard to all of these people, you realize that's just his job. He has to dehumanize them. But in a way, there's he just reads, like you're saying, to your point, dad vibes. He is patern there's paternalism. He, he's paternalistic. And he's particularly that in this movie. But I think he's an absolute, like any actor that is interested in just making more interesting choices or if you have a, a sort of colorless part, you know, in the sense that it isn't full of a ton of interesting detail or nuance or what have you. Look at what Lewis Gossett Jr. does with every acting choice and every line delivery because it's not what you expect. The other thing, if you're a fan of his, if, if you've ever seen this incredible performance in Enemy Mine, which is a sci-fi movie he did with Dennis Quaid, which is a little, there's bits of it a little corny, but he does a performance through heavy makeup and prosthetics as this alien that is transcendent, especially with the limitations that he has to express emotion because of all of the makeup. And so I think he's an absolute genius and I just love him to death. And I just needed a moment to wow. rhapsodize about him. Um, I think all very well said. Uh, you, you sort of have given me more to think about because I think my relationship is primarily um, Iron Eagle. Mm. Which are like probably, you know, in some ways, paycheck movies, right? A little bit. But he's great. Um, I'll, I want to say two things that that brought up for me, specifically related to toy soldiers, but also the themes of the idea, which is he's paternal, but he's also anti-authoritarian. Mm -hmm. Because he knows that everyone else has given up on these kids. And he's kind of the only family they have. And in order to... He has to navigate the role of not being their parents, but also being the person that gives them some ideals kind of thing. And so therefore he treats them as equals, even when he has to discipline them. And it's like a pretty key, exactly. key thing. And if there's a theme of this movie, maybe there's a larger theme. And I, I actually have an interesting thought that may feel like it's way out on a, on a, on a diving board here, but I want to offer it to you. You mentioned the moment where he says, the United, so he says to Callie, the United States will hunt you down. Mm -hmm. They'll never stop. Do you know what Callie says back to him? They say they will, but they never do, which has not aged. Is, <laughs> is not true. Yeah, um, but is it, it's not true. But it's also a really interesting line if you read this movie about fathers and sons. Because he's, oh, what he's yeah. essentially saying is like, there's no consequences for my actions. Oh, interesting. And this is a, and this is a guy who earlier is like, 
talks about discipline and all these things. Like, he doesn't actually believe that he'll face any consequence for this. And so if you think about thematically the idea of fathers and sons, like, what does that line mean to this guy's psychology? Which mm. is like, I won't get in trouble. This might, this, I, I think what we're probably tapping into as we mine this is probably the underlying skill of David Kep, right? And some of the things yeah. that he brought to this, because we're probably underestimating like this is this is a he's a, a great writer. This is elite. He is yeah. elite. You know, he's absolutely one of the the you know the top tier writers of the last thirty years. So especially in that Hollywood vein, like he's I mean, just, you know every yeah. every time you see a, a movie with a good script, a lot of time oh David Cap yeah I mean great. yeah he's a he's a total master. There was another line in it around that time because there's a real turning point after the Joey Trotter incident, but when that all the kids kind of get Billy together and it is a little bit of a low point. You know you weren't you weren't wrong in what you were saying earlier about it being a lowest point. I think it was a lowest point. It could be considered... Well, this is e the screenplay considered moment either. when his back is against the wall, right? And it's like, and we have to do something. And, and he's I love lowest point. Billy, Billy Tepper. Sean Astin says like, oh, if you say do it for Joey, I'm going to puke. And that was a line where I just loved the, mm -hmm. the, the subversive like... Uh, nature of that that there wasn't that it wasn't it was going against cutting against sentiment you know it's not rah rah um, rah yeah no, it was just like ah oh, fuck you know and, and then they kind of he said they calls him a douchebag or, or a moron or something and they say that's why we like you you know we're all morons basically and there was some that that was re that stuff was really really great so I think there's probably is David Kep's guiding hand uh, underneath some of this stuff is it does does. Now you're saying well, it I, elevates some of I think some, you know better than you know. anybody that, like, as a writer, you bring your own things and the things you think about to the writing you do. And it, like, even if you're writing on assignment or whatever, like, it can't help but make its way into your thinking a lot of the time. And, like, the sort of shadows of a screenplay, right? Or whatever, you, the the Joseph Campbell of it all in terms of what the, what the subtext, subtextual ideas of the movie are, right? On a, on a surface, as an action movie. On its, thematically, it could be about a fathers and sons, absentee fathers, uh kids a lawless a land where kids or kids are smarter than adults right that kind of thing mm. there's some things going on with it lord there. of the flies as you mentioned is also an interesting sort of comp uh absolutely in, in, in that respect should we move on to should we Boy, throw that, got, our, that got um, serious that got a little heavy let's you guys um, okay welcome to serious cast oh my god let's, I have to um, stop. let's lighten up and and go to the oscars die hard oscars aka the limos. action movie awards the john McClane. oh wait tuxedos mullets yep all set Got to get my water gun Beretta in its holster. <laughs> get the old cummerbund. All right. The John McClane Yippie Kaye Award for Best Quip. What are the nominees? Now, there's, this is not a particularly quotable film, I would say. And this is another illustration of the sort of thing we're talking about with the tenets. When you realize that if one of these films has sort of uh, lower scores, if you like, on one, of the, on one of the Oscars, it kind of speaks to a missed opportunity for, uh, you know, like... Great lines. I mean, look at Shane Black. It's like, you know, not only can he write incredible plots and incredible characters, but they're also very quotable. Yes. You know, this this film it falls a little short on that. I was really struggling to find any quotable lines. The ones I've got is like, and I thought, I mentioned this because I thought it was a very McLean-type soliloquy where he, Billy Tepper says like, great, the school is taken over by terrorists and I'm still on pots and pans. <laughs> that felt very McLean. That's a good line. Right? Um, pots and pans is what they make kids do yeah. when they're in trouble. Yeah. The other one I, I thought was great was Denham Elliott as the headmaster, Robert Gould, saying like, this object I'm holding here is called, uh, well, book. some of you may have seen one before. It's called a book. You may yeah. have seen one on television. I thought that was a lovely moment. Um, but the one I like that I think probably distills the movie the best is Dean Parker, Lewis Gossett Jr. saying, uh, don't you worry about wearing me out. I'm going to wear you out. 
You know, I thought that was like a, a that's a, the winner, a cool line. Yeah, yeah I that's think my that's a choice. Good choice. Yeah, again, not like a quotable movie in that sense, but that's a that's a good line. Uh, the Hans Gruber Master Thief Award for stealing the film. The nominees are Andrew Divoff as Lewis Cully. Interesting. Denim Elliott as the headmaster, Dr. Robert Gould. Jerry Orbach's uncredited extended cameo as the mafia boss, Albert Trotter. But who are we fucking kidding? The winner is Lewis Gossett Jr. by a fucking mile. Is he in the movie too much? Come again? Sorry, my brain just exploded. What? No, I guess it's not. I guess it's. Oh, not. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Like, like, oh, sorry. Is he too large of a role to steal the no, movie? No, he's credited as and Lewis Gossett Jr. He's like, uh, uh, you know, okay. he's, so he's not the lead, is he? Right, Billy Tepper is the lead. I don't think kids. anyone steals the movie besides him. The one person that I think I thought was interesting. Yeah, you know, it's Lewis. I can't even remember who my other pick would be. So let's go, with Lewis. Lewis he's Gossett Jr. You can have it. No, of course he's incredible. I didn't. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> no, he he really does. He really does anchor. Well, he makes a credible. He makes a as a credibility. And moving, you yeah. know, he brings the that the, you know he brings an emotional um, depth to it. What about the guy who comes and goes? Why don't you just go in and shoot them? Like, what about that guy? <laughs> Remember oh, the, that, like the, the family PTA? meeting? Yeah, the very bizarre, <laughs> I love how Orbach's wide just angle, like, low shot, chilling at the yeah. back of that PTA yeah. meeting, like just a mafia boss. That's like, like you believe at the these back, fucking people. Like... <laughs> All right, um, Dick Thornburg Award for Dick of the Movie. The nominees are. The humorless, colorless FBI deputy director Otis Brown. Oh, that guy blows. Yeah, good choice. Mason yeah. Adams. Yeah. Any of these punk rich kids. Yeah. Um, and honestly, my my choice for Dick of the movie is Billy Tepper. Oh wow, <laughs> controversial choice. Yeah. Can the hero be Dick of the I movie? I don't think he's a dick. I really I don't. Do. I feel for him. I, I feel for him. Um we should know that Phil has a t-shirt on that says, I hate kids. No, um, <laughs> my pick is the sheriff, the shitty sheriff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who like, is like, Good I'm going to go in and save the day. Now that, like literally that scene started, I was like, dick of the movie. Is that the, the same, is that the same sheriff that's like, um, his uncle is selling uh, yes. liquor to Sick, selling yeah, liquor yeah, to kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's, he's the he's the, he's the yeah. Dick Thornburg of the movie. Yeah, we'll yeah, let Billy off. I'm being a little harsh. Yeah, you're being really hard on Billy. It's just because I've become such a starch-shirted adult. Well, you know, again, the like... I hate kids teacher. <laughs> he showed up with a briefcase. Oh. He showed up with a briefcase. What is that today. like? You know, the, I'm like the character in those kind of movies. That's the the the, the stuffy dean yeah, who is exactly. like, Corey, stop having fun. All right. Best death presented by Marco. Our nominees are no more table. Colombian... Next time you have a chance to kill someone, <laughs> don't hesitate. I made I made the mistake of stepping on your Marco. When, whenever you're in that zone, I, I now know to just step back and let you do your thing because it's so enjoyable. Thanks for Isn't the it? advice. Alrighty, Rue. Uh, the Colombian judge who is thrown out of the helicopter, Scarface style. Oh. Um, Will Wheaton's shooting. Henchman Jack Thorpe prepping a bazooka to shoot the inbound Blackhawks, then being blown away by a previously hidden Apache gunship. And hate it when that happens. <laughs> oh, the Apache uh, gunship. That's a pretty cool. It is moment. as badass. And um Callie's messy comeuppance. 
Thoughts? I'm, Thoughts? Moans, I, groans, worries, concerns? No worries, no concerns. It can't be Will Wheaton. No, no, it's just too um, ugly. The judge thing goes on for too long in my mind at the beginning. My favorite kill is when the snipers take out the two rooftop terrorists oh, yeah, and they yeah. go pew pew that's and they just go cool. over. That That's my pick because it's the most kind of like, the. it's actually great filmmaking and that you see the rifle scope go through the fence and then they go down. I really like that one. I also like how it has a storytelling function, which is then he drops the grenade, however yes. preposterous that is, that stops the SWAT team from going in and kind of it echoes even though not exactly the same thing of like the pricked finger uh, uh from die hard when the SWAT oh, yeah. pricks his finger. The SWAT team guy, just the yeah, kind of moment of like humanity yeah, yeah. that that offers whether subversive or not you know i i think jack thorpe's death is is pretty great but well, that's I do, a great action but, movie but death but just i mean the finale of this is fantastic it's good like for for action yeah. for straight strip away any of my like uh mealy mouthed uh you know political uh, you're qualms. the paul verhoven of this podcast um, but uh, that is a fantastic action sequence. Um, but Callie's messy comeuppance is quite an interesting moment because, yeah, like the, the Dean bursts in through the window. I don't, I hate the trope in movies where uh, a civilian is given a gun by a, you know. That's like, so unrealistic. It's ridiculous. It's just that, that bit is like. I, it's so unrealistic in this movie, Toy Soldiers, that a guy get. But yeah, no, I mean, it is. Even it, within it, it, this it bugs movie, me. It bugs it me a like, little bit. I actually noted I wish, that too. I, I just wish I'd known more about Lewis Gossett Jr.'s background. Like, you could sort, you could have things like that. Like, if, when he has the heart to hearts with Billy, if we we could know a little bit about, was he a wild kid? He's Did a he Vietnam go to veteran, though, right? Is he? I, I, do they ever I think say they that? say something like that because that that was what made me go like, oh, he's going to get a gun at some point yeah. in this movie. But Maybe yeah. he wasn't. No, Gene Hackman was a Vietnam veteran. He was in, a Marine in, in, in narrow margin. margin. Yeah, they, do, they but do mention margin that. call narrow margin. Yeah. But there might be something with Lewis Gossett Jr. where he's like a. It would make sense, right? It, that he would be a veteran. You totally yeah. buy it, but I don't know that they ever touch touch on it. And it was if they don't, it's a sorely missed opportunity. Yeah, but it's interesting because when he bursts through the window uh, you're all expecting him to kill the bad guy but he doesn't mm -hmm. it's actually like just he distracts no, he takes a him, bullet I for suppose. the kids yeah, yeah he takes a bullet for the kid yeah yeah which is which was kind of an interesting uh, interesting choice um is it trivia time it is oh my now, boy last last my, my time boy? last time this was always the fear with trivia is that it's going to come up during, during my extensive the episode. knowledge is going to ruin your questions i yes. bet it hasn't happened this time it i bet hasn't. i'm going to get them all wrong all right, so it's my time for some vengeance. Yeah. All right, with podcast with the vengeance. Stop it! I gotta stop. <laughs> All right. And remember, this is for our for our listeners at home, so it's okay if you don't know them. Okay. Don't worry. I it's don't. All right. I get to. I win a copy of Toy Soldiers, the yeah. book. Right. That's secondhand the... copy that I somehow prized out of the deepest deepest depths of, depths of eBay. Um, okay. From George Jeff Bezos's <laughs> personal collection. It's, it's out of print. You yeah, I bet it is. All right. Um, okay. Question number one. Co-screenwriter David Kep. Would, be, would become one of Hollywood's most sought-after scribes with a string of hits to his name. One of those hits was a 2002 thriller directed by David Fincher that could be described as Die Hard in a House. Panic Room. Yay! Movie I rewatched during the pandemic. I'm a big fan of. Yep. There you go. Question number two. Toy Soldiers producer Mark Berg would go on to produce a 1994 Brendan Fraser comedy which is essentially... Die Hard in a radio station. Can you name that Airheads. movie? Yay! Fun fact about Airheads, it was shot on Fox, on, on Fox Plaza, aka Nakatomi Plaza. Huh. If you watch the movie, if you watch Airheads again, you can totally you can totally see it. I love the scene when Brendan Fraser at night looks up at the rooftop and sees flares of light on the roof, and then it cuts to McLean in a gun battle with German terrorists. <laughs> That's my in, favorite in bit. The multiverse. All right. And this was this is a this is a this is a deep cut. Okay. 
Toy Soldiers cast members Jerry Orbach and Otis Brown, who was the FBI guy that we were talking about, the, the kind of grey robotic guy, mm -hmm. previously played almost identical roles in a popular thriller from 1986 that was subtitled Murder by Illusion. Can you name that movie? Oh, and there is a clue. You can phone a friend. Come on. Yeah, phone a friend. This was, this was, I know this is a hard one. You want to phone a friend? Yeah. All right, here's the clue. The film starred Brian Brown and Brian Dennehy, and it had a sequel in 1991. 1986? Nin the, first, the first one was 1986. And there was a sequel in 1991. I have no idea. It's FX. Do you know oh, that movie? Oh, come on. Yes, I do know it's it. It's currently uh, streaming for free on um, Amazon Prime. Or I hope okay, it still will be at the time of release of this episode. That's embarrassing. It's a fun movie. Yeah, it's really weird like piece that's of trivia. embarrassing that I got it wrong. Uh, I like FX. I love FX. It's it's great. And yeah, uh, Jerry Orbach plays a mafia boss in that called Nicholas DeFranco. And Mason Adams plays a Justice Department official called Edward Mason. And the, the point I wanted to make about this was that it kind of speaks to the laziness and the shorthand of the casting in this movie that totally like trades off the fumes of previous roles. Like with Arlie Ermey, right, who plays the uh, the like military commander in Toy Soldiers. To me, oh, uh, from uh, Kubrick's uh, Full right. Metal Jacket. So this is what the movie is saying. It's like, hey guys, you all saw Full Metal Jacket, right? Like, so you know this guy's yeah, a badass. That's good. Yeah, right, that's moving good. on. So we don't need to give this guy and any kind so of character. And he's so neutered in this movie. He he's nothing. so like subdued. Th this is my. This is my biggest, like, it's just such a missed opportunity because you, you, when you think about Die Hard, if a character is in it for one second, like the fucking convenience store guy that uh, Al Powell is buying his Twinkies from, that character is alive. He yeah. feels like dimensional. Yeah, he no, ha that's he really has good. texture. In this movie, like key characters, like the FBI guy or the military commander have absolutely no uh, color to them whatsoever. No, that's true. That's good. You know, and it's just a missed opportunity. And that's this is that those are the kind of details that separate Die Hard from the pack. That said, I like this movie. I do too. You know, I think I feel like we've illuminated some uh, some things about and it. And you've I made mean, me we'll... like it like another half a star actually with so, your thematic analysis. So that's one star. No, <laughs> <laughs> so it's half a star. No, I'd give it like I'd give it uh, I'd give it three. I'd give it three. I give it two and a half. I'd I think I like three. it a little less than you, but I, I do like it. I, do, I, th I look. Um, Enjoyable, enjoyable uh, time. Well, rating the movie. You know, I don't know that, again, this is an important action movie, but it, it's indicative of an era that does not exist anymore when, like, you could kind of make an R-rated movie with kids in it yeah. doing a kind of adult things. And, you know, some part of me misses this kind of, like, I don't, it's not for adults, but this, like, movie that a 13-year-old could probably watch and it would be, or I was 10, a 10-year-old could kind of watch it and be fine and, like, kind of... I mean, it, I remember being a kid and finding it a little disturbing and upsetting. Like it's sort of, it's sort of, it's sort of like, you know, it wasn't like watching Die Hard where it was adults, right? People who felt like mm. I'd never be their age. I'm now older than Bruce Willis, right? But like, there was something as a kid upsetting about this movie and challenging and and uh, you know, sort of a tangential thing. I just showed my daughter Wizard of Oz and she was scared of it. And I was like, yeah, it's okay to be scared of movies, it's, right? Yeah, it's it's normal. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a weird movie. And like, yeah. but like movies are scary. That's yeah. part of the experience you're supposed to have in a movie. You're supposed yeah. to be scared, thrilled, sad, whatever. So like I sort of miss I think that these there's this was a these are valiant attempts at doing cool things with kids and and you uh, you know you mentioned earlier you don't like kids content. I much prefer this kids content to a lot of the kids content you get today, which is like sort of 
a little more mild, depending on what it is. I'm not yeah. saying, like, let's show our three-year-olds Die Hard 2, Die Harder, but I miss this era of movies, which is somewhat maybe in some ways what this podcast uh, is Yeah, about. I found it, like, a really refreshing, especially because this was one of the few films I hadn't seen, so I had no nostalgic attachment. I was seeing it completely um, clear-eyed. And I have to say, although I had some, like, uh, slightly, you know, slightly weird feelings around some Icky of vibes. It, icky vibes. Icky vibes. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I it's a good it was time. really entertaining, really fun Great performance from Lewis Gossett Jr. Some, and Sean Austin. Yeah, and and some twists and turns that I didn't expect along the way, and a genuinely exciting final uh, final sequence. And there are things going on thematically that yeah. are more interesting than maybe even some action movies have. You yeah. know, I, I yeah. Well, I think that about yeah, I think that about does that it. Wraps it up. Next what, time, next time on the show, we're doing Ricochet. Yeah. But before you listen to the next episode of the show. Have you subscribed to the show? Have you subscribed to the show? Have you subscribed Why to the not? show? Why not? Wait, have what you... is wrong with you? Have you rated and reviewed the show? <laughs> if you like us, subscribe. If you really like us, rate. I'm not kidding. If you love us, please review us on Apple Podcasts. Help us, the show, to continue to climb the charts, which it's doing every day. If you want to follow us on social media, I am at Liam G. Billingham on Twitter, and I'm also at Liam G. Billingham on Letterboxd, where I am cataloging every one of the films that we cover on this show. Phil, if we want to find you on the internet, I'm hiding in the dark corners of Twitter under the name Philip Gawthorne. Correct. And if you want to follow the show, we are at DieHardOAB on Twitter and Instagram. You can also send us an email with your thoughts on the episodes, on the show, a voicemail. If it's good, we'll talk about it on the show. That's DieHardOAB at gmail.com. I should probably check that address. I haven't checked it in a couple days. So maybe we have many adoring emails from people. Uh, We want to hear from you. We like you. Come and join like the party. This podcast. Come, welcome to the party, pals. Yeah. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm Philip Gawthorne. We'll be back next time with some new FBI guys, I guess. Die Hard on a Blank is a podcast hosted and written by Philip Gawthorne. Liam Billingham co-hosts and produces the show. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. Please rate, review, and subscribe and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to Suki Chu and the whole team at Sugar23. See you next time on Die Hard on a Blank. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.